Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacuHealth with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe MySight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Welcome back to part two of my interview with Dr. Lisa Hamilton. In this episode, Dr. Hamilton shares specific new treatments she uses for treating dry eye disease. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell. Also, please leave comments. Be sure to watch our full-length documentary, Open Your Eyes, on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube movies and shows. Let's talk about how you diagnose dry eye. Uh, you talked about the mybographer and, uh, you know, that you take a picture of the mybomian glands, the tubes that produce the oils and to see if they're damaged or not. Uh, but how about you use a questionnaire to start off with? Yeah, so what we do in our office, and I, there's no right or wrong way to do this, but what we do in our office, we, we have an, a, a practice that we, we do at least half of our half of our exams that we see our routine vision exams. So what we do with our routine vision exams is we, I just, I don't do a, a, a major questionnaire like a speed test. I will do that at the, at, the fall, at the dry eye workup specifically, but just initially, I wanna make sure that I'm asking all of my patients, how are your eyes feeling? Are they becoming red? And I don't really try to ask yes or no questions. It's more open-ended. I know that it is happening. It's The question is how often is this happening and what time of day does it happen and how severe is it and how much is this affecting your life? And then I'll put some dyes in the eyes to look at how, how long does it take the tears to evaporate? The other thing is when the tears become salty, the epithelial cells on the surface of the cornea, they sort of have this mortar between them and the salt will erode that. And so when I put this dye in the eye, it's called fluorescein, it will stain any areas where the mortar's kind of been eroded. And then we also put a, a green dye in the eye called lysamine green, which will stain devitalized cells on the cornea and the conjunctiva. And um, we look at, uh, so, so basically it's kind of two steps. I, I just sort of ask all of my patients, are your eyes dry? And I look for symptoms of dry eye. And really, when I really dig in and ask, like I said, about 50% of my adults are like, yes, I do have that. And so then I recommend that they come back for a, a full workup. And that full workup usually goes through their medical insurance. And at that point, we are uh, checking the uh, mybomian glands. We're documenting those with mybography. If they have significant atrophy on the lower lids, we'll want to flip the lids and look at the upper lids. We also have tear film imaging in the office, which will tell us how many seconds does it take for the tears to evaporate. And so nice, we wanna get a baseline of that so that we know if we initiate treatment, how much are we improving the situation? 
we um, look at the oils. It'll some of them will one of the ones that we have in the office will analyze how much oil is in the tear film. But either way, critical things are what do the glands look like, and then we actually push on them with a little device to see how much oil is coming out of them. And then what is coming out? Is it clear or is it cloudy? If it's cloudy, but I can still get something out with a manual press, I'm happy. I know that this person is going to respond really well with Lipoflow. If I can't get anything out at all, if, if that oil is so concreted in there, I'm concerned that even if I do a Lipoflow, we might not, we, we might not get it fully dissolved and cleared out of there, and this person might be looking at multiple treatments. So I try to set the stage for that so that we don't do one treatment, have it not work, and, and then I didn't meet the patient's expectations. Uh, the other things we look at are, we check for something called lid-like closure, where we just basically have a patient close their eyes and we hold a, a really bright light to their eyes called a transilluminator, and we look for any light leaking around, around the edge. That just means this person doesn't close their eyes completely. Think of a Ziploc bag that you've used over and over and over again, and then over time, it just doesn't, doesn't seal as well. And that will cause some mild dryness overnight while, while people are sleeping. And then some people, even their eyes gape open completely when they sleep, and that's called lag ophthalmus. That will cause severe, just think of like chapped lips, that'll cause a severe strip of chapping across the ocular surface. So we look for lag ophthalmus, lid-like closure, we put uh, the vital dyes in, the lysamine green and the fluorescein. With the lysamine green, we look for staining on the white part of the eye, the conjunctiva, which indicates devitalized uh, cells. And then we look for any staining along the lid margin. I look for that biofilm buildup and there's something called the line of marks and look for where is, where is that relatively over the opening of the oil glands we look for friction marks because if basically as the as we blink if there's not enough fluid there we get more friction when we blink and the eyelid can actually start to get really irritated and can start staining in areas where it's had the cells have been rubbed off from friction from blinking so we look at the uh let's call lid wiper epitheliopathy we look for lwe and then we um put the fluorescein in, we look for the tear breakup time, we look for the tear volume, tear lake height, and we have also a device that can measure this, but we can manually eyeball that pretty well with our slit lamp. Um, like I said, we check the meibomian glands in all three quadrants of the lower lid and count how many glands are, are pooling. I usually have a scribe in the room because we're checking so much stuff and I'm calling, calling out to my scribe and she's documenting it. And we even got a new slit lamp, which is really cool. It's called a Firefly and it's got a really nice video system built in so I can record all of this as I do it and actually show the patient what I'm seeing. And then obviously we look at the lid margin and look for any sign of blepharitis infection. And then I can show the patient uh, the, if they've got that waxy buildup from Dimidex. And then we sort of create a treatment plan and try to set some realistic expectations so that we're gonna be seeing each other a lot for a while. <laughs> And what's, what's the name of the instrument that you use the, that measures uh, the tear breakup and uh, or the lacrimal lake? Uh, the, what, what's, which one are you using? Yep, so I've got, a, I've got two offices and I've got one of my offices has the Oculus Keratograph. Uh -huh. So that one's, that one's pretty cool because it also does, uh, it also does topography, which is a, another diagnostic device that we need in our office. And um, so, so it's really great. It even does a whole dry eye report. It can help classify. When, when we do a dry eye evaluation, we want to classify it as evaporative, 
is it evaporative dry eye or is it just, you know, kind of, you know, dry eye that's just more from the lacrimal gland not producing. And because it's multifactorial, I really think it's really hard to differentiate because if you have, if you have evaporation, then you don't have much tear volume. So which came first, but if we truly do have normal oils and normal evaporation time and still have reduced tear volume, then we can say, okay, we just have a, we just have a, a lacrimal gland that's not producing well, but we don't really need to address the oils or MGD here. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going way off on a tangent. I'm not sure I even- No, but I want to ask discussion. you about when you're doing lysamine green and you see any staining at all, even a, li a little bit, would you consider that dry eye at that point? Yes, I would. And if you see that the cornea is staining as well, how much more severe is that? How, how, how uh, much, much more aggressive are you with the treatment? I get much, I, I get much more aggressive when it, when the cornea is involved for two reasons. One, that's where the nerve endings are for the patient. So that's normally what's causing a lot of discomfort for the patients, feeling like they've got scratchy or grittiness with their eyes, feeling like there's sand in their eyes. It also can affect their vision. That's the main cause of the vision fluctuating. And sometimes by the end of the day, a lot of people come in and I'm trying to get their prescription right and saying, which looks better, one or two? And they're going, they're all bad. I move that out of the way. I put some dye in there. I'm like, oh yeah, your, your cornea is staining all over. We have to treat this. We can't even get a good eyeglass prescription today. But then more seriously, if we allow that cornea staining to go on persistently, the corneal nerve endings can start to die. And then that feedback loop could be damaged forever. And then the dry eye could get way out of control. And that's where I really start considering biologics as well to try to heal, not only get rid of the inflammation, but heal those corneal nerve endings. So when you're treating dry eye, sometimes the patient starts looking, like you mentioned before, their signs get better before their symptoms get better. And, right. And how do you deal with that situation? Well, yes, and, and sometimes people, it, it's interesting, sometimes people have serious complaints of dry eye, and I do this whole workup, and a lot of it looks pretty normal, and so then I just start dealing with in, inflammation and allergies and treating their symptoms, and then other times I see lots of signs of dry eye, and they're not very symptomatic, and then they're not very motivated to do treatment. When people are saying, oh, I feel fine, I don't think I need to do this, that's where having that video of what their eyes look like, I can really show them and say, I'm, I'm so glad you're not having symptoms now, but I really do believe that if we don't treat this now, you're going to start having symptoms. And if we let it progress too much, it's going to be harder to, to treat. And if we lose too many oil glands, we're not going to get those back. It's going to be much harder to treat later. A lot of patients, and you mentioned a little bit about this before, come in with artificial tears. They have tears, but they're still complaining about dry eye. Uh, what, what What's the role for for artificial tears in your in your estimation and what type of artificial tears should people use? Right, so I think first we have to understand what, what type of dry eye do we have? And I tend to go with two main tears in my practice, either Oasis tears, which sort of have this kind of glycerin base. And if, if people are really have a lot of staining on their ocular surface, I want a tear that's gonna coat their cornea and help them heal. When we blink, our, our eyelids are spreading the tears around, but they're also knocking off the cells that are trying to regenerate. So if the corneal surface is damaged, that those cells are trying to regenerate, but if they're knocked off every time we blink, that's just going to make it very difficult for the ocular surface to ever heal. 
So I'll use a glycerin-based drop first, and that'll coat the surface of the eye. It usually lasts for a couple of hours. And like I said, I want preservative free. And then if they also have meibomian gland disease where they're evaporating quickly, then I'll stack on top of that something like Retain MGD, which will add the oils. And then I'll, a lot of my patients, I'll tell them, you know, we may have to do this every two hours until your eyes heal. Sometimes when it's that severe, I'll just go to plan B, which will put a bandage contact lens on the eye. That will be like a little wet blanket on the eye. It'll trap the moisture there, won't allow the evaporation. It'll create a band-aid where the cells are not knocked off. And, uh, and then in more severe cases, we can do an amniotic membrane, which is amniotic tissue that will, uh, we put it into, well, you can do a dehydrated one or, or you can do a cryo, cryo freeze one. I do the dehydrated ones normally and just put it into like the bowl of the contact lens and put the contact lens on the eye. The patient wears that for about five days and nights continuously. And those, those uh, stem cells and amniotic membrane cells just sort of heal the ocular surface. But uh, we do need to add more lubrication, but in a lot of cases, some of the artificial tears can make the problem worse rather than better. Because when we think about the three layers of the tear film, the oils and the lipids, we put a drop in our eye and a lot of it's running down the cheek. And a lot of what is running down our cheek is our own oils and our own lipids, our own, our own mucus. And so then 15 minutes later, when that's evaporated, sometimes the eye has been stripped of its natural defenses. And so I'm pretty cautious about using that. I, I, I try to keep that a little bit more to a minimum and, and just try to treat inflammation. And if we need more um, aqueous work with plugs and use tears, but on a sort of on a sparing basis. When do you move to a cyclosporine such as Restasis or, or, uh, or, or another prescription, uh, something like Zydra? When are you going to move to something like that? When, when, when is it called for? So in my practice, I, I feel like those medications are long-term. If I put a patient on one of those, they're going to be on it for a long time. So I, I try to start first with steroid drops and see how do they respond with that? And, and if they did respond well, then I know, okay, there is inflammation here. How severe was it? And usually we do have to deal with the inflammation. Like I said before, the inflammation causes the symptoms, but then it also causes more of the dry eye problems where the lacrimal glands not producing as much tears, the goblet cells aren't producing as much mucus. So if we don't really take care of that inflammation, uh, over time, then the dry eye, we're really not addressing the root cause of the dry eye. So in a lot of cases, we do have to put patients on these anti-inflammatories that are safe to use over, you know, six to 12 months. And then I'm also now starting to use the Regenerize the Biologic as an anti-inflammatory because they've got the growth factors in there as well. And so I, I, I'm kind of, they're, they're a little bit newer for my practice, but I'm uh, kind of reaching for those quite a bit as well. And how's your success with Regenerize? So far, very good. There's there's two uh, formulas with it. There's Pro and Light. The Pro has to be kept in the refrigerator. It's more expensive, and the Light does not have to be kept in the refrigerator. I tend to tell patients though, if we're going to go down this road of Regenerize, they need to plan on being on this drop for at least six months because it takes six weeks before we start addressing the inflammation with Regenerize. And then it takes three months before we start getting the benefits of the growth factors. 
So I think with, with, uh, with a lot of patients, they really have to know that they're going to be on this drop for a, t for a period of time. And then starting at six months, we may start to consider getting them off of it. And is this still a place you think for azocyte? Yeah, yeah, def definitely. Um, that's more for, I think, eyelid inflammation. And we, we definitely want to decrease that as well. And we don't want to do, like, like I mentioned before, the lipoflow treatment that heats up these oil glands and clears out the, the blockages. We don't want to do lipoflow on an inflamed eyelid. So anything, uh, oral medications that decrease inflammation, even doxycycline, um, and then azocyte will help do that as well. And sometimes steroid ointments are necessary. Uh, before you mentioned hypochlorous acid, how often will you use that and how effective have, have you found that to be? The standalone, it takes some time because it, uh, like I said, it, it's still on the, on the surface of the lid. It doesn't penetrate in quite as deeply. I think it's great for maintenance or mild cases. If someone has a severe case, we've got to in office debride away the, the scurf and treat it in the office with the zest treatment and the light therapy. And then I think the hypochlor becomes a great maintenance therapy. It's interesting how hypochlorous acid, this, the name sometimes scares people, but it's actually made by the white blood cells in the body to fight bacteria. So this is something that's made inside the body and generally is quite, patients find quite comfortable. MacuHealth, your science born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science. So let's talk about uh, supplements, uh, omega-3s. Uh, there's been 12 studies that show omega-3s show improvement in dry eyes. What kind of omega-3s do you use? And what has your, uh, your uh, success rate, would you say, with omega-3s? Right. So it's, it's never a standalone treatment for me. It's always part of our, part of our sort of our maintenance therapy and something that we, we prescribe for almost all patients suffering with dry eye. I use the I, I, the P PRN brand, the physician recommended nutraceutical brand is really good. And I promise is good. And there's a few others that are good as well. So I'm not really wanting to promote one vitamin over the other, but I do think it's important that whatever product we recommend as providers, that it is farm GMP, meaning it's true to the label and, and that it's a, it's a good pure product. Well, you know, high quality, pure product. You know, I, I, people always bring up the DREAM study and they show that uh, omega-3s versus placebo, omega-3s was a tiny bit better, but really wasn't much better than placebo. But what they don't tell you is that it, they, 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 they uh, compared omega-3s versus olive oil. And there was an effect with olive oil. Olive oil actually helped dry eye, except, you know, the omega-3s helped a little bit better, but it wasn't statistically significant, but it showed that they both worked. So I thought that was kind of an interesting study, the DREAM study. So you mentioned before you talked about uh, mybomian uh, evacuation and the different techniques of doing it. And you use Lipaflow. Explain how that works and how that benefits a patient. Sure. We, we have several things in our office. We have Lipaflow, we have tear care, we have IPL, and we have light therapy. We do all of them. 
And then there's another instrument by Alcon that we uh, also have at one of our offices. The, uh, we'll start with Lipaflow. Tell me about sure. Lipaflow. Lip Lipaflow is, is the one that's been around the longest. I'd say it's the gold standard and it's, it's uh, really nice for the patients. They basically can just recline we put this device, it looks, a, it looks a little scary in the picture sometimes when I show it to patients, they think, oh my gosh, is that gonna hurt? That goes in my eye. But what it does is it creates this shell that sort of vaults over the cornea, kind of like a scleral contact lens. And then it has these pockets that the upper lid and lower lid sort of go into. And the technicians can do this. The doctor does not, is not the one inserting, inserting this. And then we just recline the patients when the Lipaflow device or the activator is on the eye, the patient cannot see anything. So I always ask patients, are you claustrophobic or is this gonna bother you where you can't see anything? If so, we can treat one eye and then treat the other eye. We don't have to do both at once, but almost always we will do both eyes at once as long as the patient doesn't have any claustrophobia. Then we just lean the patient back, recline them. We put on some spa music and basically the uh, device heats up the glands to about 40 degrees Celsius, which I think is about maybe 112 degrees uh, um, for a, I'm, I'm having a little brain, you know, Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. <laughs> I can't think of Fahrenheit there for a second. And, uh, and so it, uh, and then the, once the glands reach the desired temperature where we know the, the myobum is um, liquefied, then the lipoflow starts automatically sort of massaging out the blockages while the heat is on. And that shell that's over the cornea protects the cornea from the heat. And what's really nice about Lipoflow is that it's one of the only ones that heats the glands from the back side of the cornea, the underside. So that's uh, when we, all the other heat devices have to go through this structure called the tarsal plate to get to the glands. And so that absorbs a lot of the heat. The procedure is just 12 minutes long and uh, very effective comfortable for the patient. And then we take the device off. A lot of times they feel really great for a day or two after that, because all these oils are now in their tear film. And uh, then I tell them they might even have a few days where they feel more dry because we've, you know, we've sort of evacuated all the oils out of their, out of their glands. And it might take their glands a few days to catch up and start producing more again. So don't worry, you know, if you start, if you have a, a few days where you feel a little more dry, you can just add some drops like retain MGD that have the oils in them. And then we're gonna be treating the inflammation. We're gonna be doing the eyelid maintenance. We're gonna be doing blinking exercises, which is kind of an interesting thing to tell people, but I think everybody should pay attention to your blinking. Anytime you think of it, do a good firm blink. And then we wanna maintain cleanliness of the lids. And even if we don't have blepharitis or any sort of eyelid infection, just our own cells that get that shed you know can form on the lid margin and then women who wear makeup if they don't get it all off at night or they take it off with something oily that can clog, clog the glands so I, I sort of tell everybody just kind of go over your lid margin that little water line with a dry q-tip in the morning and just clean that stuff off and make sure your glands are open for the day that's kind of part of the maintenance so how about ilux tell us about that one the alkyne product Yep, so that one is manual and the technician or the doctor holds it. They treat a third of the lid at a time and they hold, and there's a magnifier built in and a light built in. So also just like Lipaflow, the, the heat comes on and then the technician manually squeezes or expresses once they get a green light saying that the glands are at the appropriate temperature. It's a little bit more 
hands-on with the technician. I would say lipoflows, you just basically, the technician puts the activators on and then they stay in the room with the patient, but the device does all the treatment itself automated. With the ILEX, it's more of a, the tech's involved the whole time or the doctor's involved the whole time. And how about tear care? Tear care is these heating elements that probably get hotter than anything, than the other two options and they stick onto the lid. So the patient can basically sit there and their vision's not obstructed like it is with the, with, with the other devices that are sort of blocking their vision. And they can sit there on their phone and, and uh, sort of do what they like. But then we do the expression immediately after the heat comes off. So I always feel a little bit of pressure that the heating elements coming off and I've got to be able to really start expressing right away before the glands cool down too much. But it's really uh, with that, the doctor usually does that at the slit lamp. So we take the heating elements off and we press on the lids with this little device. And we, it's kind of like popping pimples. We see all this white stuff coming out and then you think you got it all out and then you press and here comes some more. You know? mm. So it's a uh, it's pretty gratifying to see all of that, but I always feel like I'm in a rush. Like I've got to hurry up and do it before they cool down. <laughs> and let's move to IPL, which is an evacuation, but is very, very successful, very helpful. A lot of doctors like it. Tell us about your experience with it, how it works and what we, what it, what it actually is. Right. So IPL stands for intense pulse light. It's been done for long time by dermatologists and med spas for treatment of skin disorders, a lot of times sun damage on the skin. And what was reported was that a lot of patients who went through IPL treatments for their skin noticed that their dry eyes started feeling better. And I think that it, I think that it works two ways. One is I think it's anti-inflammatory. I think that there is some level of pseudocarterization that occurs on those micro blood vessels that are delivering the inflammation to the eyelid margin. I think that sort of highway of inflammation is slowed down and then it also heats up the glands. So it in and of itself does liquefy those, those hardened oils a little bit. You have to be careful not to get too close to the eye. It can damage the cornea. So you want to be careful and there's different types of IPLs. Some of them, if you're going to get real close to the eye, they require a, like a corneal shield. So you have to put this device in the eye that will protect the cornea and then you can get really close to the eye with that. Other devices don't have that. So we tend to stay, we, we tend to really stay uh, at a safe distance from the lid margin when we do it. And I almost always bundle that together with light therapy. So we'll do an IPL and then we'll follow up with light therapy and uh, we, we almost always do a package where a person comes in three or four so with, times. With, for with light therapy, you're talking about a mask. Correct, right. So we'll do the IPL and, and the same, at our office, we have a device, a Sponzioni device that has both attachments. So we attach, and it also has the blue light, blue mask attachment for blepharitis. So we'll attach the IPL, put the, um, put the eye protection on, do the IPL treatments around the surface, around the lower part of the eye. And then we take the eye protection off, then we lay the patient back with a red mask. And that also heats up the glands. And like I said, the red light stimulates the ATP and the mitochondria to get those glands rejuvenated. Because if they've been blocked for a long time, even if we get them unblocked, they've been dormant. We almost gotta wake them up again and get them producing again. 
And then we do a little manual expression after all of that, kind of like we do with the tear care and uh, squeeze on the glands and, and uh, manually express them. So that's, that's how we do that in our office. And like I said, we always do a package, a minimum of three treatments, maybe four. And then that is almost always in my maintenance therapy too, because as I mentioned before, this is never a one and done treatment. We always have to maintain there's, there's um, blinking exercises to do at home and home heat masks to do, but a lot of our patients will come in to the office, you know, quarterly or some periodic afterwards and, and do an IPL and a red mask as part of their maintenance. And you mentioned plugs before, punctal plugs. Uh, do you use the permanent ones or the ones that melt uh, yeah. that over time? And is there certain brands that you use? Or are you still yeah. using punctal plugs anymore? I do. I, I love plugs. I, I know that, you know, when, when back when we fully understood dry eye and understood that it was inflammatory, lots of doctors reached for plugs as a sole treatment. And then it sort of got a bad reputation because you don't want to plug an inflamed dry and lots of patients with, with dry eye, probably 85% have inflammation. So you have to, you have to treat the inflammation. So then a lot of doctors took approach of, well, I'm just going to prescribe or stasis or Zydra. I'm just going to treat the inflammation, but then maybe we're ignoring the fact that the lacrimal glands still, we don't have enough tear volume there, or we're ignoring the oil glands. So we have to address all three things. And, um, I think I got off track on what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> so about the about the plugs, if you like. Oh yeah. Ones, oh yeah. The ones that so, so yeah. So once once we have dealt with the inflammation and the inflammation is is out of there, we do not want to plug an inflamed eye. I love plugs. I my patients are so happy when I put plugs in their eyes. It's quick. It takes five minutes. So many of my patients are dropping out of contact lenses, saying I can't wear my contacts anymore. They don't even really have inflammation. And they're just having a problem where it's a dry climate here and their contacts are soaking up their tears and starting to stick to their eyes throughout the day. I'll put a punctal plug in those guys and they're like, hey, I can wear my contacts all day comfortably. Thank you, doctor, you're a lifesaver. Um, I, I think they're fantastic. I will do the, we have two types. We have permanent plugs and then we have dissolvable plugs. And within the dissolvable uh, types, we've got the really collagen that dissolve very quickly. They're gone in about a week. And then we have this extended duration type that lasts about three or four months. Personally, that's my go-to extended duration because there's minimal risk with them. If I put a silicone plug in somebody's eye, one, they might feel it more. It might feel scratchy. It's going to sit on the surface of the eye. But two, it might drop down their lacrimal canal, migrate down where it shouldn't be, then stagnant tears, you know, tears will drain down to the plug and then sit stagnant above the plug and then can cause an infection. Or the plug can migrate down to the common canal where basically there's a drain in the lower lid and there's a drain in the upper lid that come together to form a common canal. And if that plug migrates down and blocks the common, that person's eye is gonna be watering, possibly could be watering over and saying, hey man, you gotta get this plug out of my eye. And then I'm gonna say, oops, it's way down deep now. You've got to go see a surgeon and they're going to have to surgically remove that through your nose. And I don't ever want to have to deal with that with my patients. So I'm cautious about putting those in. And I definitely explain that risk factor to the patients. And we get an informed consent before doing any sort of silicone plugs. I love starting with the extended duration ones. That also tells me, you know, how effective will this be? But definitely start with that before we consider anything permanent like a silicone plug. And 
I also feel that during allergy season, we don't want plugs. We want we want free drainage. And so I, I love the fact that the the uh, the dissolving ones, like we can pick and choose our our time, our seasons throughout the year that we want to have the plugs in. And the winter months are really dry here in Colorado. So I love putting plugs in at the beginning of winter. Then we come into allergy season. I'm like, no plugs right now. That's kind of how I, I utilize plugs. And you mentioned bandage contact lenses and scleral contact lenses. Let's start with bandage contact lenses. When is there a place? How long does that bandage lens stay on for? Yeah, so um, we kind of, sometimes we doctors will tell our dry eye patients, you know, your dry eye is going to make it difficult to wear contact lenses. And that's true. So then it sounds counterintuitive that we're going to say we're going to put a contact lens on to treat your dry eye. But they're, they're a little bit diff different uh, issues. I go for bandage contact lenses when there's a lot of staining on the cornea and I want that staining to heal. And as I mentioned before, when the, when the eye is blinking, it's knocking off those cells that are trying to, to uh, regenerate. And then some patients, I think some of the ones that are kind of borderline neurotropic where their corneas that, that they've got just a, an issue where those nerve endings aren't, have been damaged. I think those patients actually do really well with contact lenses as a main treatment, as a main treatment for their vision instead of glasses, because they'll they'll do better on the bandage lens. And then when I take the bandage lens off, and by the way, you mentioned how long, sometimes it's just 24 hours, sometimes it's three days, sometimes it's five days of continuous wear, depending on how severe the keratitis is and how much staining we're seeing. But a lot of times they'll do better on the bandage lens and then I take them off the bandage lens and then they just flare up again. And regardless of all the anti-inflammatories that we're doing and everything else that we're doing, I sometimes have this, it's a small group of patients, but I'll have a few of them that they're just not, they're just still having this persistent staining. And I, I think those folks are got some degree of corneal nerve desensitization and, and they're just not capable of of uh, producing and then they do really well if I just say, hey, we're gonna fit you in soft lenses and we're gonna make soft lenses, we're gonna have you do soft lenses to correct your vision instead of glasses. And then I use some that are kind of geared up for dry eye, uh, Daily's Total One or Acuvue Oasis One Day or Infuse and some, some of these new lenses, the My Day by Cooper Vision, uh, they really do well with dry eye. And so you can't just choose any contact lens. You've got to choose one that, that does well with dry eye and generally is a single use contact lens if I'm going to make it their, their main uh, visual correction. If you have somebody who's really suffering, they have terrible dry eye, they had some kind of disease and you have to go to a scleral lens. How do yeah. you fit that? What type of scleral lens do you use? Yeah, so we work, I've worked with at least four different labs find that they're all good. So I, I think they, they all, the fitting process can be a little different for each of them. So I highly recommend uh, just kind of choosing one lab or two labs and, and really aligning with them. We've got two great labs here in Denver. I love working with local labs because I can usually get the products more quickly. Scleral lenses, I probably fit them, you know, on maybe five patients a week because they're great for lots of conditions. They're great for conditions called keratoconus. They're great for, some people have high astigmatism and you put a soft lens on them and you get all this rotation of the lens and their vision's going in and out of focus every time they blink. And so then you would say, oh, we can put a hard lens on you, but then that feels like a little hockey puck in their eye and bouncing all around in there and they're uncomfortable. So scleral lenses are, are great for 
for lots of conditions and they're a big part of our practice. But the nice thing about scleral lenses is they are, they're hard and they cover the entire cornea. They don't touch the cornea, they vault over the cornea, maybe 200 microns, and you fill them with preservative-free saline. We use these little vials and there's a couple companies that make them, but basically they're preservative-free. You open the, the lid, you fill up the bowl and the patient has to lean forward and put this thing on, but it's like a little saline cup over their eye all day that um, corrects their vision really well and makes their eyes comfortable. Can make their eyes a little red because the scleral lenses rest on the white part of the eye and there's blood vessels there on the white part of the eye. So sometimes they can get a little red, uh, but a lot of patients can wear them without even experiencing any redness. That's, I appreciate that. You know, I, I want to tell you a, a story and I'm sure you've experienced this a lot that you have patients that come in and they have a bag of drops and they've been to like five doctors and no matter where they go, their eyes are burning. And it turns out it's from wrinkle cream that they're putting on their eyelid because the wrinkle cream is going through their eyelid and, and burning their eyes. And it's, it's like a toxic conjunctivitis. Is that something that you've ever seen? Because we I see it a lot where I am. Definitely, definitely. And we ask our patients about the products they're putting around their eyes. Uh, yeah, and a lot of folks are using, you know, the anti-aging industry. We're using retinol products and, and that's great for cell turnover, but you really don't want to get that stuff too close to your eyes. And even some of the eyelash serums, you know, that help the eyelashes grow longer that are super popular, those cause inflammation and, and that can cause some, some damage to the meibomian glands. And then these eyelash extensions are so popular. And then I, I think, okay, somebody's got eyelash extensions on here with this glue at the base. You know, they're not scrubbing their lashes or cleaning off any biofilm. So who knows what's building up under there? I know it's crazy. You know, I think whatever treatment, you know, when you prescribe a treatment for dry eye, what I find is that if I add the nutrition component and I change the nutrition and get them on a better diet away from the sad diet, the standard American diet, and get them on more of a whole foods, less processed foods, whatever treatment I do, they do even much, much better. Uh, you know, that it, re it really helps the treatment. Completely agree. Completely agree. And they'll be healthier and live longer and more productive and happier lives. If we can get rid of that big belly, the metabolic <laughs> belly. So I, I want to thank Dr. Lisa Hamilton for joining me today. She's a wealth of knowledge. Lisa, if people want to get in touch with you, they want to find out more about your practice and more about you, how can they do that? Yes, uh, we have a website, dryeyecolorado.com. You can go there. And if they want to schedule a dry eye workup in our practice, our phone number is 720-283-2020. Uh, if you could repeat that. 720-283-2020. Well, I appreciate it. I want to thank Dr. Lisa. She's fantastic. Also a good friend. And this is Dr. Kerry Gelb for Open Your Eyes. Thank you for joining me today. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. 
MacuHealth with Micromicel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromicel technology. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. Each generation was supposed to be healthier than the last one. Lifespan was supposed to be increasing. We were supposed to be in this paradise by now. Instead of getting healthier and healthier, it seems to have gone the opposite way. Millennials were projected to be the first generation in history to not outlive the generation before them. We are certainly headed for disaster. I think a lot of people are beginning to question the whole story. We live in a time where the paradigms are shifting. And the optometrist, in my opinion, is one of the best kept secrets. The public doesn't realize about going to the eye doctor. So many different diseases actually manifest in the eye. The back of the eye is the only place in the body that you could actually see the blood vessels. Completely non-invasively, you could screen thousands of people, not just for their eye health, but for their whole body health. Because this disease is here, it's also going to be here. And I can look into the back of my eyeball, and there are expert doctors on the ground who are looking at my eyeball while I'm doing it. The eye is the canary of the mind. The eye is the kingdom. Will everyone please open their Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.